Author Gary Hamill retells the story of a now famous sociology experiment involving a hungry monkey, a fireman pole, and a bunch of bananas. The bananas are at the top of this pole in the middle of this room, and it doesn't take long for the monkey to figure this out. Up the pole he climbs, and just as he is about to clutch that tasty snack in his hand, a high-power showerhead above the pole in the ceiling douses him with icy cold water. Well, down the pole, the poor thing retreats, shocked and wet. After a while, he tries again, and again, and again, and each time with the same result. He ends up cold and drenched and bananaless. Another monkey is added, then a third, finally a fourth. Each monkey keeps trying to get to this treat at the top of the pole, and each one is punished by the showerhead. And each one scampers away, squealing and crying. And finally, they all four give up. They won't even try anymore, hardly even, lift, hardly even lifting their eyes to the fruit that is taunting them, hanging there in the air. And here's where it gets interesting. Having been conditioned to avoid the pole altogether, researchers added a new monkey to the mix. What does he do? Unaware of the cold shower awaiting him, he starts up the pole to the bananas. And what happens? The other monkeys in the room gang tackle him. They yank him down. They bellow and scream and beat on him for trying to get to the bananas. And when they finish, this new guy tries again to go up the pole. And what happens? More of the same. They nearly beat the life out of him, sending him a very clear message, don't climb that pole. One by one, researchers replaced all of the original monkeys and took away the showerhead altogether. And not a single new monkey introduced into the mix ever gets to the top of the pole. Because they are so conditioned to beat each other down and to avoid the snack that is at the top. Now here's the question. Do you ever feel like you live in a room of combatant monkeys? All you really want is just a little treat, a little satisfaction, and you're willing to put some effort into it. You'll do the work, but everyone around you seems to keep dragging you down, thumping you on the head, putting you in your place. Don't go up there. You don't know what you're doing. We've given up bananas around here, pal. Oh, you want to be happy? <laughs> well, you've come to the wrong place for that. You want to enjoy yourself? Well, we'll beat that right out of you right quick and in a hurry. And if you do succeed sometimes and you get to that thing that would bring you joy, you're doused with a cold shower. Cindy and I were sitting in church years ago. I don't mind telling you what church it was. First Baptist Church, Fairmount, Georgia. There was this prunish Grandmother sitting in front of me, and she had a couple of her grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren with her, and one of them kept peeping up from the pew. What's that guy in tool time? 
Wilson, like Wilson, you know, looking over the fence. And he kept peeping at me and laughing and having a good time. And I'd wink at him and he'd wink back. He was just a little guy. And at one point in the winking and the nodding, he giggled out loud. And I swear to you, his grandmother reached over and thumped the fire out of that child and said, quote, stop laughing, you're in church. I think she was possibly an experimental monkey in a previous life. (laughs) You know these people. Joy killers. Happiness stealers. Contentment crashers. Laughter takers. They're great, heavy, cold, wet blankets just waiting to throw themselves on someone or some otherwise joyful situation. Negative ninnies who could find something wrong with a sunrise in the morning. Johnny rain clouds who can't wait for a parade to cancel. They will beat the daylights out of you and in the process knock away anything that resembles satisfaction, gladness, or joy. We got the joy, 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 joy down in our hearts, down in our hearts to stay. Well, not for long if these people have anything to say about it. It's the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of joy. The pink candle burns today, different than the rest, different than the purple candles. I've always wondered why. And maybe it is because that of the four traditional themes of Advent, joy is different. For joy is the most tangible of the themes. Hope from two weeks ago, what is that exactly? It's ethereal, it's undefinable, it's a kind of resiliency, yes, but hope is hard to see, hard to hear, hard to prove. Love, from last week, love is what makes the world go round and it's what we all need, but men and women have and will write love songs and love poetry for all of human existence because words fail to capture it. And next week, peace, we sort of know what that is, but it may be the most elusive of the four. So we come to joy. Thank God for joy. Because we know it when we see it. We recognize it when we feel it. We can't keep it, if we have it, off of our faces. This candle is different because joy is different. Don't let the haters and the takers beat it out of you. Our reading this morning came from the lectionary from the prophet Isaiah, as you've heard, and the apostle Paul. Not delivered with Gordon's British brogue, but that steely Ohio, Pennsylvania tone of Russ Clark, the Reverend Russ Clark, who found that steely voice, I think, barking at Marines in Vietnam and from decades in the pulpits of Methodist churches, two places I suspect joy can be taken from a man. Was that that bad? Because I hadn't got over the Baptist joke from last week yet. I mean, I'm an equal opportunity offender. You had to be asleep not to hear the joyful theme of these verses, no matter what voice you hear them in. A few of the key words, sing, praise, comfort, save, strength, song, victory, sing, praise, sing, praise, sing, praise, all from Isaiah. And then Paul, be full of joy in the Lord, I say it again, 
rejoice. Now, you've probably never had a minister give you this recommendation, but you're having it today. Be full of it. Now, I've been told that a few times in my life and that I was full of it, but it wasn't always a compliment. Today, it's a compliment. Be full of it. It being joy. Be full of joy. Paul says, I'm going to say it again, be full of joy. I've had the experience, tremendous experience, a few times in my life of preaching in African-American churches. And it is a thrill. Uh, They will preach you to death because it is so participatory. White people tend to listen and spectate. The African-American church tends to listen and talk back to you. It's not a lecture, it's a conversation. And conversations take a little more energy and a little more time. I was preaching in just such a church. The the guy playing the organ when it came my time to speak stayed at the organ. And he's like playing these blues chops behind me, which is just like, wow, it's great. And the pastor, a female pastor, she sort of hovered around the stage the whole time, and she would move to the front pew as well. And and I'm preaching, and she's right there exhorting and encouraging me and talking back to me. And and she was sitting just about where where the bazettes are right now. And uh, she's waving her hanky. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the black church? And it's a hanky about the size of a beach towel, though, you know. And I said something, I don't even know what I said, but she liked it. And she said, oh, 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 oh. Like Billy, yeah. He'll be back next week, we'll tell him that. But then she said the punchline, oh, mm, you say that again. Well, I, I'm white, I kept going. And so I tried to stick with my notes. No, no, no. And now she's up front. No, no. You say that again. Okay. And so I start backing up, trying to, was it this? No. What, this? Mm-mm. This? Mm-mm. That? That's it. And when she, I got to it, the place broke out. Jimmy Smith on the Hammond B3 over there. The crowd's going crazy. You say that again. I love that. That's right from the Apostle Paul. Be joyful in the Lord. If you didn't hear me, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. There was once this beggar who sat on a box by the side of the road for years, decades. Day in and day out, he would bring that box, he'd sit it down, he'd sit on it and ask people to help him. And one day a stranger came by and the beggar asked him for money and the stranger said, I don't have any money, but you got a box. What's in your box? And the beggar says, what do you you mean what's in the box? It's just a box, there's nothing in this box. Well, have you ever opened the box? You don't open this box. This box was here when I got here. I sit it on every day. I take it back to the little hovel where I live, and I bring it back here. There's nothing in the box. Well, how about let's take a look in the box? By this time, the beggar's really upset. But to get rid of the guy, he opens the box. And when he opens the box, out bursts this treasure of gold. And he had been sitting 
on it the entire time, begging others to give him what he did not need. And not many stories are more accurate than that one to describe our world, sometimes to describe ourselves. We sit, many of us, as we have for years, begging and pleading, empty, angry, accusatory, helpless, trapped. We want someone else to make us happy, to do for us. And as soon as that someone tries and is on their way, we're on to the next person to ask the same. And all along, we have been given more than we ever need to be joyful and happy in this world. We're sitting on it. It is within us. And it is just a matter of expressing it. It's the gladness of being alive. It's the celebration of God's love given to us. His grace shed upon us. His presence made manifest daily in our lives. It has been there all along. You just might have to look for it, appreciate it, and put it to good use. What beggar, having found a treasure, would keep begging for crumbs? He wouldn't. His life would be revolutionized. Why must we trudge on letting the world suck the joy from us like a vacuum cleaner hooked up to our hearts? And I know this world is crazy. It is. I know it is madness. I know sometimes it feels like the insaniacs are running the asylum. The joy, joy, joy is gone, gone, gone. How many people do you meet daily who have got real joy in their hearts or on their faces? <laughs> Think about that. Fear? A lot of that. Anger? Plenty of that. Offense? Oh, sure. Depression? Daily. Overwhelmed? Absolutely. Fatigue? You know it. But joy? It can be hard to come by, even harder to hold on to. But look, look right where you are, right where you sit, right where you live, right where you work, and you will hear in the songs and see it in the story, that story planted in vitro, as it were, in our memories. It is the ringing bell outside the department store. It is the giggle of your children or your grandchildren as they wait in line to sit on Santa's knee. It's sitting there around your holiday table, the faces of your friends, your family, and your loved ones. Joy is in every Christmas caroler, every gift that is given, every holiday meal that is shared, and in every reading of the nativity story. Joy waits like all well-mannered guests to be invited in. And once it is invited in, joy has a way of becoming the life of the party. C.S. Lewis explained how joy works. He said, when you encounter something that is joyful and beautiful, it stuns and stops you. The world falls away. All you can do is give your attention to this one beautiful, joyful thing. And then there is a second reaction. You have to share it with somebody else. We see it. It stops us cold. We take it in, we're overwhelmed by the majesty of it, and then we have to find somebody else to say, look at what I have found. That is joy, and that is how joy works. Here's one more story, not unlike the ones I've already told. It's a Zen parable, often repeated by the late Brendan Manning. And I re was reminded of it this week. I, I sometimes give books to my wife to read and they disappear. 
And this book came back to me after, I think, years. And it's a Brendan Manning book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And if you've never read it, it is one of the finest things ever written in the English language. That story, this story is in that book. And it's about this monk who is being chased by a tiger. And this ferocious animal is pursuing the monk. And the monk runs to the edge of this steep cliff. And he has nowhere to go. But to his wonder and amazement, there's a little viney rope right there at the ledge. And so he gets a hold of the, of the rope. And over the edge he goes, shimmying with his little knobby knees to get away from the ferocious tiger. He gets to the end of the rope and he's still hundreds of yards above the ground. And so he looks up and there's the tiger. And he looks below and there are all these jagged rocks. And he thinks, what am I going to do? And just as he's thinking this, two little mice come out of the wall. It kind of freaks me out right there already. I think I'd rather face the tiger. Two little mice come out of the face of the wall and they begin chewing on his rope. What to do? Manning says, it was at that moment that a beautiful red ripe strawberry caught the monk's attention. It was right there within arm's reach, growing out of the face of the cliff. The monk reaches out, picks it, eats it, and says out loud to no one in particular, that is the best strawberry I've ever had in my life. And then here's the moral of the story. If the monk had been preoccupied with the rocks below, his unknown future, or the tiger above, his painful and frightening past, or the mice chewing on his lifeline, his constant unending anxiety, he would have missed the gift. Life can only be lived in the present Focus on the strawberries of the moment. They can only be found in the here and the now. Great story. One of the great repeated admonitions in Scripture when it comes to the subject of joy is the instruction from the psalmist. Psalm 66, 95, 98, 100, 103, on and on. Make a joyful noise. Unto the Lord. That has got to be a great verse for all of us, particularly if you're tone deaf. Noise. You don't have to be on key. You don't have to be musically inclined. You don't have to have a pitch perfect ear. It doesn't even have to be intelligible. Make a joyful noise. For the psalmist, joy was more like what happens at a baseball game than what happens in a church choir. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Today, as you come through communion, you will once again receive a gift. Not money and not a rock. Today, the gift box is like the treasure box that you would find at the dentist's office when you were a child. It is packed with hand clappers, kazoos, musical slides, and aptly named noisemaker. Take one. Bug people with it. And when they ask why, tell them, the joy of the Lord is my strength.